we have been going through our review of uh, the tenant systems and their refutation of the self to be refuted. And we have seen that uh, they form a progressive um, curriculum of study so that uh, we get uh, first uh, one insight and then we refine it and get the next insight from the next tenant system and so on until we get to the most sophisticated uh, understanding which is uh, that of the Prasangika school. And uh, we have also seen that uh, with each of these systems we can benefit a great deal with the insights that we gain by working with the material and by seeing how it applies to our own lives in a very personal type of way. We've been doing meditations uh, on that to uh, see how they apply. Vaibhashika started with the uh, discussion of uh, how cognition works and there they said that uh, everything is uh, substantially established or its existence is established by its uh, substantial nature. But uh, this word substantial nature is uh, the Tibetan word ze, which uh, also is the word for natal source that uh, we've discussed uh, in the past. Natal source is uh, like the oven from which uh, something comes. Uh, like a, a loaf of bread comes from an oven or a child comes from a womb. And so when they are talking about uh, a substantial entity, what it's saying is that uh, all phenomena, according to Vaibhashika, both static and non-static, uh, have um, a, well, serve as the natal source for the cognition of them and in that sense they are substantially established, they are substantial entities. The uh, way that they define it is that uh, they are able to produce an effect and the effect is uh, giving rise to the cognition of them as the uh, um, focal condition, in other words what you're focusing on. So all of these things are uh, external and uh, they have uh, a special way, which nobody else uh, asserts, of uh, describing how uh, we have cognition, and it's called direct cognition, that uh, the uh, object and the consciousness directly meet without uh, an intermediary of a what so-called mental aspect, which I have been always describing as a mental hologram. So anyway, uh, it's the Sautrantikas that uh, then get into a, a more sophisticated uh, presentation of how cognition works, and they assert that uh, there is the intermediary of a mental hologram. So one second uh, 
you have uh, the object as an external object, and then it uh, hits the consciousness, and the next, or the consciousness hits it the way that uh, it's described in the Buddhist uh, um, analysis. And then the next moment, uh, there's a mental hologram that uh, arises. And they say that uh, static phenomenon don't have this uh, natal source. Uh, they're not established as, uh, uh, by their natal, by their uh, being a substantial entity, that uh, the natal source for the uh, um, in conceptual cognition for categories, static phenomenon, that uh, these categories come from the side of the mind. Whereas uh, so-called objective entities or objective phenomenon are out there, they exist externally uh, before we have cognition of them. Vaibhashka so, said that as well. And then we, uh, uh, they serve as the natal source from which we uh, derive perception of them, sense perception of them. So, fine, this was the Sautrantika position. And the Chittamatrans come along and they object to that. And they say, how do you know that an object exists the moment before you have cognition of it? Which is very true, if uh, you think about it. How do you know? In order to know, you would have to cognize it, you'd have to see it or hear it, something like that, in terms of uh, objective um, reality. Actually, that's very interesting if, uh, I think, even in terms of uh, um, Western scientific analysis. I was reading an article that uh, pointed out that uh, the speed with which uh, light comes to the brain, you know, through the various uh, impulses, and the speed with which sound comes to the uh, brain is different, because the speed of light and the speed of sound are different. And so it is uh, the, uh, in the brain, they don't use the uh, expression of mental hologram, but the brain puts it together so that when we see somebody speaking, it looks as though the, uh, um, what we see and what we hear are uh, simultaneous, you know, that they uh, are coordinated with it, that there isn't a uh, time lag. Well, obviously, if we think in terms of the speed of sound and the speed of light, that's very, very small, but uh, they can measure that. And so uh, they also have this, uh, from a scientific point of view, that uh, an object exists before, you know, externally before we perceive it. Now, of course, uh, quantum physics would, you know, dispute that. I don't know how you would put the uh, two together, but uh, in, you know that uh, things are in uh, a uh, unspecified uh, state before we actually before there is a perceiver of it. But uh, in any case, this is the point that uh, Chittamatra is uh, disputing and saying that, how do you know that uh, uh, there is anything before you perceive it? And so this time lag uh, explanation between uh, the uh, object 
And then one moment later, there's the mental hologram and the perception of it just doesn't make any sense. And so they say that the natal source for any uh, sense perception of anything, so seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling a physical sensation, that uh, it uh, all comes, you know, all the content in the cognition. So that means the uh, mental hologram, the object, and the primary consciousness, so seeing or hearing or smelling, tasting, or feeling a physical sensation, and all the mental factors come together from one seed of uh, karma, one tendency. There's another way that we've been translating the word seed. Seed is the literal translation, and this is how it uh, arises. Now, of course, there are all sorts of uh, discussions and debates about how, um, you know, is there some sort of uh, common locus that when uh, two people at two sides of the room see something in the middle, that uh, they're actually seeing the same thing? Is there a common locus for that or not? And Tsongkhapa uh, says no, that uh, there is no common locus. You can have something called shared karma, but there isn't one common object that both people are seeing from uh, different angles, because then again it would have to be external. So uh, that doesn't make uh, any sense. Um, it's very uh, radical as well to say that uh, all the ways of being aware, you know, it's the whole cognition side, comes from uh, one seed of karma. What uh, we had in the previous, in Sautrantika, is that uh, each of the mental factors has its own tendency. So that uh, you uh, could have a, uh, um, a seed, for concentration, a different one for anger, a different one for kindness, etc., etc., all these sort of things. And they would be, uh, have different strengths in terms of uh, the type of uh, um, manifest form that they would uh, give rise to. So, in that way, you know, each of these factors are uh, separate, and the, uh, in the moment of cognition, you're getting many, many different sources for all the different components that uh, are there. Chittamatra says, no, they all come in one package. So you have a package for that uh, moment of uh, perception. So this is the uh, general um, idea that uh, is there in Chittamatra. Chittamatra accepts the uh, coarse and uh, subtle selflessness of uh, uh, persons, the same as uh, is asserted in uh, Sautrantika. You remember in uh, Vaibhashika, they only asserted the uh, coarse um, selflessness of persons, that uh, uh, that was a, uh, a person, an Atman soul, that is uh, static, unaffected by anything. Uh, it's uh, partless, 
So either the size of the universe or a tiny little uh, uh, monad, a little spark, and that it can exist independently of uh, aggregates of a body and mind, specifically when uh, you attain, person attains uh, moksha, liberation, it's free of body and mind. So this is uh, uh, refuted, and that that type of me um, possesses objects, you know, lives in the body and mind as its uh, habitat, and uh, controls it, and possesses it, and so on. All of that is uh, part of this package of the uh, course selflessness of a person. And in the Vaibhashika system, as you recall, they only refute it with an implicative negation phenomenon, which means that uh, it's not that, which uh, implies that it is something else. So uh, it is not that Atman. So that's the only thing that uh, one understands. But you have the assertion that is implied is that it is non-static, it has parts, and uh, it uh, can't exist uh, independently of a basis for imputation. Um, it's very interesting also if, uh, remember we've spoken about uh, defining characteristic uh, features, and the defining characteristic mark of a uh, 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 person is uh, not the same as the natal source within the person, or the, the substantial uh, nature of uh, the person. With uh, uh, Vaibhashika, they already state that, uh, the, uh, that a person serves as a natal source and also the basis for imputation of a person serves as a natal source. That they agree that a person is an imputation on the uh, aggregates. They're not refuting that. Uh, it is one of these so-called non-congruent uh, um, affecting variables, you know, that neither uh, a form of physical phenomenon or a way of being aware of anything. Uh, that they agree, and that is an imputation and they say that uh, the imputation is on the collection of all the aggregates. That's, uh, um, uh, that's there. I'm not quite sure where they say the defining characteristic of the person is. I would guess that they would say that uh, it would be within uh, uh, all those uh, aggregates collectively. And, uh, but nevertheless, the, why, the reason why they say that uh, you don't have to uh, perceive the aggregates, you know, the basis, but can just perceive the person, is that uh, you never perceive all the aggregates. So natal sources, the uh, person and the aggregates, although some of them might appear, they also serve as the natal source there. Anyway, I don't want to go too much into Vaibhashika. Uh, Sautrantika is saying that uh, the, um, they agree that uh, self is a natal source, and has a natal source, and uh, the aggregates as uh, the basis have their natal source in terms of uh, what appears, uh, but the defining characteristic of the self is in the mental consciousness, on the side of the mental consciousness. 
So um, that's because the mental consciousness as a basis is uh, always there. When we see somebody, when we hear somebody, still uh, there has to be a mental consciousness behind that. So they assert that. So now when we get to Chittamatra, Chittamatra is going to agree that uh, um, self is an imputation on the aggregates, that uh, the, uh, um, they say that the defining characteristic of the self, they don't say it's in mental consciousness, they say it's in the foundation consciousness, the so-called alia vijnana in uh, Sanskrit, because that is underlying uh, everything, and that goes on from uh, lifetime to uh, lifetime. Whereas mental consciousness, what uh, the Sautrantika said, goes on from lifetime to lifetime, that's a little bit problematic when uh, you speak about uh, death consciousness. So, anyway, we still have, when you perceive a person, you perceive the person, uh, the, it's just a mental hologram, you can't uh, assert that, uh, you know, that... Uh, the person and the aggregates that uh, the person is a basis on that they are that uh, mental hologram is arising from an external natal source so that's their basic uh, assertion um, the uh, subtle selflessness of uh, a person was that uh, a uh, and this the Sautrantikas are going to uh, introduce Vibhashikas didn't have that is that uh, the uh, self is, you refute that it is substantially and a substantially existent, self-sufficiently knowable phenomenon. They're not refuting that it's self, uh, that it's substantially existent, but they're refuting that as a self substantially existent phenomenon, it is self-sufficiently knowable. It can be known by itself without the uh, basis also uh, appearing. Now, Chittamatra is also going to uh, say, uh, assert the same thing. So it's the same understanding. Um, but uh, for them, they're just talking about uh, it's not self-sufficiently, uh, what should we say, knowable. But within, you know, when we see somebody, uh, you have to see a basis as well. Okay. This uh, fact that uh, the object that appears, the mental hologram, and the, uh, uh, all the mental factors and consciousness are coming from the one natal source, which is uh, the seed of karma on the uh, mind stream, that also applies to the self, and that's known as the core selflessness of all phenomena. And self is uh, included in that. Uh, so the uh, way that it is uh, formulated is that uh, the core selflessness of all phenomenon is when dependent phenomenon, that's non-static phenomenon, appear in the form of a mental hologram and non-conceptual cognition, in other words, sense perception, it's impossible to establish their existence in that cognition as coming from external natal sources separately 
from the karmic seed, that's the natal source of the consciousness and mental factors, cognizing them. So that's just a complicated way of saying what we have been describing. Okay, so that is the theory. Now the question is, uh, how do we actually apply that? Can we think of uh, examples for that? So the example that uh, I was thinking of was uh, recalling hearing the sounds of what someone was saying to you and assuming that the person was hearing the same sounds as you were because it was objective reality. Has it ever happened to you that uh, uh, you uh, hear something, you know, and then you get into a whole argument, you know, you said this, you know, or you said this, you know, if you're remembering it. But I mean, this is sense perception, so it's at the time that, uh, you know, the person says, no, I didn't say that. Uh, we very often uh, uh, hear or see things that are different from uh, what others see. So it's very hard to say what is uh, objective reality, isn't it? Do you have any examples like that? I mean, can you, does that make sense? I think that's the most common um, example. They're very often misunderstandings that uh, we think somebody said something and they didn't. Or we are listening to a conversation and I heard, you know, somebody else and I heard one thing and somebody else heard something else. That happens in uh, lectures all the time, doesn't it? So that would be the uh, example. So recall being unaware that what was appearing to you and to the other person In this case, the sounds of what they were saying, your ear consciousness, hearing it, and the accompanying emotions, recall being unaware that all of that was coming from a seed of karma in your own mind. When, for instance, because of being distracted, tired, or upset, you were hearing something different from what you later reported they were saying. Remember, all the mental factors that accompany our hearing are also coming from that same seed. So it could be sleepiness, It could be emotionally uh, being upset. It could be uh, distracted by something else that we're not really paying attention fully. All these mental factors are there, aren't they? Which then would uh, be part of that package of that moment of uh, hearing, which will affect what we hear. So, recall try to recall some uh, instances where that has happened. What's very interesting when you uh, start to think about this is in the uh, teachings on ways of knowing, Lorik, they speak about uh, 
um, when something arises that uh, you are in your consciousness, in your cognition, that you are uncertain about, to know that you have to uh, ask again and get more information in order to validly know it. And that uh, actually is uh, very important when we hear something and it either sounds crazy or we don't, uh, you know, couldn't hear clearly what they said. We're not sure of what they said. What we really need to do is ask again, what did you say? And to know when we have to do that. That actually is very, very uh, helpful to uh, be able to do that. So, we've, uh, by the way, were there any questions about, uh, about this? I think it was fairly straightforward. But, uh, um, you said the mental factors are all the time present from one seed, from the one seed? Uh, the, all the mental factors, is asking about the mental factors, are they all present from one seed? Yeah. All the mental factors that accompany one particular moment of uh, sense perception are all coming together in one seed with the uh, object of, uh, of the sense perception as well and the primary consciousness too. And coming along with that would be the person that is uh, an imputation on that. That would be part of the package. Aliyah Vijnana is a foundation consciousness or storehouse consciousness. And this is a, a term that you're going to find defined as uh, differently in uh, different systems. It's found only in the uh, Chittamatra system uh, in terms of the uh, tenets, according to uh, Galupa. In uh, other systems, non galupa you find the uh, storehouse consciousness is uh, also asserted in some of the Madhyamaka uh, presentations. So they have some sort of Yogacara Madhyamaka, some of them, but uh, they also have uh, very different uh, definitions of them in terms of Tantra uh, and dealing with uh, uh, explanation of uh, Let's say in Dzogchen, for example, when Rikpa, pure awareness, is mixed with uh, this uh, factor of confusion, it's called, then it functions as an Aliyah Vijnana. Now, Aliyah Vijnana itself, from the Chittamatra point of view, it is uh, unspecified. First of all, it underlies all consciousness. It is the basis on which uh, all the... Um, Tendencies, you know, the seeds are uh, uh, imputations. Now, when we talk about these tendencies and so on, there are also tendencies to remember something. That's how memory works as well. And uh, it is unspecified, which means that it's neither constructive nor destructive. It all depends on uh, mental factors that are uh, accompanying it. 
It is a, um, it's unobstructive, which means that it doesn't block liberation or enlightenment, but nevertheless, when, uh, and then this again, Tsongkhapa had two different opinions, you know, one earlier in his life and one later in his life. The more definitive one is that it doesn't uh, continue with enlightenment. Nevertheless, it uh, doesn't obstruct enlightenment. You know, like conceptual mind doesn't obstruct enlightenment, but uh, Buddha doesn't have that. And uh, it uh, is uh, uh, unclear in terms of uh, uh, its uh, um, giving rise to uh, um, appearances. And it is, uh, uh, it is a, it cognizes what we uh, cognize, but uh, it uh, does that in a way in which it is not decisive about what it is cognizing. So it is uh, uh, non-determining cognition is the uh, technical term for it. So it's there, but it uh, is just sort of the... Uh, tape recorder or, or in the background that's recording everything in a sense. So there's that. I mean, Chittamatra also has this uh, um, so-called reflexive awareness, Rung Rik, that does the recording. Sautrantika had that as well, but they have that on mental consciousness. In any case, We have recalled instances in which uh, we have uh, heard something and uh, we didn't realize that uh, that whole cognition of uh, what we heard and how we heard it was uh, coming from a seat of karma in our own mind. And we assumed that uh, the other person uh, heard the same thing or said, you know, what we uh, heard and... Uh, We experience some problems. So the next step is to identify the disturbing emotions, destructive behaviors, and suffering you experienced as a result of uh, such unawareness. For instance, being upset and having an argument about whether or not the other person said what you heard. That very often happens, I think. That we think we said something, we didn't clarify that they said something, we didn't clarify it, and then we are very upset afterwards. Could even be the tone of voice that we then misunderstood as meaning something else. But here we're talking specifically of the sound that we heard, not our interpretation of it that comes with conceptual thought.
Then think of how the sounds that were appearing and what each of you were hearing had their own subjective validity, that there was no one objective reality, and that if any misunderstanding and conflicts are going to be realistically resolved, each of these appearances need to be taken into consideration. In other words, not, you know, you said this, no, you know, I didn't say that, you know, not a big argument, but each of you heard what you think you heard, and then you have to resolve the, uh, the difference there, taking seriously what uh, each of you heard. This is the same principle found in uh, family therapy, that in a situation in a family, that uh, how the uh, um, mother experiences it, how the father experiences it, how the children experience it, each of them have their own subjective validity, and they need to take uh, each of them seriously in order to resolve whatever uh, problem might be there. It's the same principle. Okay, so what do you think? What is your experience? Anything you'd like to comment on? I think the main lesson from it is, as I was saying, that uh, if something sounds strange, 
or looks strange, ask, get more information. And if there's a uh, discrepancy with what the other person saw or heard, take that seriously. Come on, some comments. I'm nothing to add because what you said is exactly very clear. Like, right. Says so there's nothing to add because what I said was clear. If 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 I remember situations where this happened to me, it was because we both heard different things and we thought that was the established reality. Right. And the only way to solve the problem after the confusion is to come back and remember what I understood, what you understood, and see. Is this really what you mean? Is this really what I meant? Yeah. Right. The, uh, that gets into, I mean, what he's saying is that uh, when there's a uh, misunderstanding in terms of uh, what you said, what I said, what I heard, what you heard, and so on, that uh, we need to uh, uh, come back to that and resolve it, you know, what do you remember, what do I remember? That gets into uh, conceptual cognition, which is uh, the uh, subtle selflessness of uh, all phenomenon. In other words, when we recall the sounds, then what words were they that the person said? So that gets a little bit more uh, uh, complicated. But uh, it's the, you know, it's based on, the second one is based on, the more subtle one is based on the coarse one. But uh, we'll get to that uh, next time. I only want to cover the coarse uh, selflessness of phenomenon and how it applies to uh, the person. So how would it apply to a person? How would it apply to the... uh, person in this situation. Well, we're talking about the uh, selflessness of, of all phenomenon. Of course, selflessness of all phenomenon. So it also uh, applies to persons. So how would you apply it to persons? In a gross way, you could say that, you know, that <laughs> those colored shapes that, I see, that uh, appears in my mind to be at a distance, I take it to be, you know, Mary. And you look and you think, you know, that that is actually Jane. You know, so, I mean, that's a gross example. But uh, what would be another example? How would it apply? Well, 
in, in, in a person different things, like different characteristics. What do you mean? We can think... Uh, we can see in, in a person different characteristics. We can see in a person different characteristics. Um, which are not... Um, like different people can perceive different so different people can perceive different things. That would be, for instance, uh, when I see you, actually I'm seeing your body. So I could pay attention to what you're wearing, or I could pay attention to your hair. So that's within the sense perception, isn't it? What we're paying attention to. So, that very often happens, doesn't it? Um, people who are very interested in fashion can remember what uh, the people in the room were wearing. Someone who doesn't care at all about fashion can't remember at all what people were wearing. Didn't you see what they were wearing? No, I didn't see it. I didn't notice it. Didn't you see how terrible they looked? No, I didn't see that. So that's one example. But isn't it also uh, that we um, see something? Uh, you, you said uh, how would it apply uh, to a person or on a person? Uh, we see a person and we have to uh, interpret what, what we see as a person. We have to uh, recognize that it is a person, so that maybe is an aspect of uh, the um, that it's dependent on uh, us perceiving and also recognizing and uh, naming it, labeling it. Right. Well, we have to perceive that uh, something is uh, a base to to uh, clarify what you were trying, to, what you you were saying. We have to perceive that something is a basis for imputation of a person. Right. Like, for instance, you hear some noise in the hall, and uh, you uh, um, perceive that as a basis of imputation of a person being in the hall, whereas actually it was just a window rattling or something like that. Yeah. So uh, there's that example. What we label it, you know, the name that we give to it, that comes in conceptual cognition. But just uh, perceiving it, I perceive a person on that basis, and uh, um, you perceived rattling of the window on, the, uh, on that basis. That's there. That's there. You see, the significance of this, if you think about it, is that uh, with the understanding of the coarse selflessness of a uh, person. Try that again. With the understanding of the coarse selflessness of all phenomenon as applied to a person, you automatically will understand the uh, selflessness of a person, the coarse and subtle selfless of a person. In the Chittamatra presentation, they say that uh, 
shravakas, you know, those who are uh, aiming for uh, liberation, so-called uh, Hinayana practitioners, that uh, they don't consider at all um, the selflessness of phenomenon. They only focus on the selflessness of uh, persons, subtle and coarse. Pratyeka Buddhas will focus on the coarse selflessness of phenomenon as their main focus, and included in that they would understand the coarse and subtle selflessness of persons. And bodhisattvas would emphasize the subtle selflessness of all phenomenon, and in that they would understand all the other ones. Coarse selflessness of phenomenon and the subtle and coarse selflessness of persons. So this becomes very interesting to try to understand that. How would we understand that? If what appears in your conscious, in sense perception, would be all coming from one seed of karma, and in that, in that sense perception, there is the basis for imputation. Let's say the uh, um, colored shapes of the body and the person that's an imputation on it and consciousness and all the mental factors and everything. What have you understood from that? You've understood that the self is not self-sufficiently knowable. because it arises together with the basis. So by understanding that all the phenomenon in that uh, moment of uh, sense perception are all coming from one seed of karma, you understand that the self can't be self-sufficiently knowable. Right? Know it without a basis of imputation, also appearing at the same time. Actually, the basis for imputation appears first in one moment, and then the uh, second moment, the basis and the uh, imputed phenomenon, the person, both are known. Person appears anyway, it's a matter of what you know. existing only because of uh, um, like uh, molecules in the air moving uh, so is that what you mean with uh, arises together it's only uh, um, imaginable with a basis is that well sa you know he says this is similar to sound being an imputation on uh, uh, motion of uh, mm -hmm. particles in air well, that's a. See, that starts to get a little bit complicated because that's the imputation of a whole on parts. And the imputation of a whole on parts, except for. Well, no. Uh, all of them would say, all the tenant systems would say that uh, 
that's not the same as the um, perception of a non-congruent affecting variable on its basis for imputation. When we, like a person on um, the body, seeing the parts of the body and seeing the body are simultaneous. You don't have to see the parts of the body first and then in the next moment notice that it's a body. Notice, notice the body. You're seeing the body and the parts of the body at the same time. Whereas with this uh, um, non-congruent affecting variable, The body and the person do appear, of course, simultaneously, but first you perceive the body, and then you perceive the body and the person. So uh, I think an easier example is uh, um, aging. First you see the, the body, and, you know, the, the person has aged, but then, you know, you, you uh, become aware of uh, that they've aged. Or motion is another, it's an easy example. First you would see the part, you know, something in, in one position, and then, as it moves, then you understand motion. You can't say in that moment, that first moment, that it's not moving. It's just that you don't notice that it's moving until the second moment. So that's different from a whole in parts. So it's the same thing with a, uh, a person. At least that's the way that it's explained. That first we see a, a body and then we see, then we uh, notice it's a person. And in this case, what is the basis of, of imputation? The basis of imputation is the body. The sight of the body. So because it's the sight of, because it's coming from the same natal source as the uh, um, cognition of it, we also understand the course selflessness of persons it can't be coming from some external source and entering into the body as its habitat right that exists independently of uh, the body and mind or whatever it is that we're perceiving in the sense consciousness and because there are many things that we perceive in that consciousness, it has parts. And that perception is changing from moment to moment. So it is, you know, because that perception doesn't last, then the person, you know, is non-static, is not static and doesn't last. So if we understand that the... Uh, person that arises in sense perception 
is not coming from a separate natal source, from the perception of it, the, the uh, ways of being aware that are, that are perceiving of it, then we would automatically, by focusing on that as our main object of uh, meditation and focus, as a Prateka Buddha that would do that, then we would automatically understand and get insight into the selflessness, both subtle and coarse, of a person. Think about that for a moment. I mean, that's not so easy. If we have understood that when we see somebody, when we see the body and the person as an imputation on the body, and we understand that th- what we see is not arising from a separate natal source, some external natal source, from the, all the ways of being aware that are part in that cognition, in that moment, then we've understood that the self can't be known by itself. It's not self-sufficiently knowable because in that cognition there's a ob- basis of imputation that's there. It always is. So it can't possibly be known by itself and it can't possibly be coming from ex- some external source, so independently existing and coming into the body as where it lives and what it controls and possesses. And it has parts because, you know, there are all the different parts of the person that we're seeing, of the body that we're seeing, and the cognition doesn't last, so it's non-static, it changes. So that means that the person is of the same nature as the perception of the person. The person is the same nature as the perception? No. It depends on you know, nature. There are many, many, many different types of nature. So the person has the same natal source as the perception? Uh, the self. The self uh, of the, uh, That's all that you can say. You can't say that it has you know, the same functional nature, the same essential nature, I mean, they're all these different types of nature, the same self-nature, self-establishing nature, there are many, many different types of natures. We're not looking at those, those are, (laughs) that gets too complicated. When you say same natural source, is in this case the Arayabjina? The seed of car- the same karmic source is the same seed, one seed for that moment of cognition. We have the karma, the karmic potential, and the karmic tendency to see to see you here this evening, right? And I can't establish, I can't prove that you existed, that what I see has arisen from 
you outside. before you came. Now that doesn't mean, I mean, that now it gets very interesting, doesn't it? Because did you not exist before I saw you? That would be the nihilist uh, extreme. But I can't prove that you exist before me. This is this whole idea of establishment. I can't prove that. It can't be established. That's the point. It can't be proven. But you don't fall to the needless position that you only exist, you know, the moment that uh, I see you. And you walk out the door and you no longer exist. Uh, you're not questioning the entire existence, right? Right. How, how do you, you prove? How do I prove? Yeah. I can't prove it unless I call you. Are you, are you still there? Then I hear you. And uh, see, so you're an imputation on the sound. Or nowadays you could take a photograph. You could have a movie camera. But that's the same as a, uh, a, um, a cognition. Yeah. And even if you're hearing, still you are perceiving that sound. You are perceiving. Right, I'm, I'm hearing the sound. It's the sound that I hear in my sense perception. Well, the fine thing is, is that even we prove like, that it exists, like, it exists, we actually, it exists not in a way we think it exists. Well, yes, I mean that it exists in a way that we I mean, no, 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 no. Within the Chittamatra, you have to stay within one system. Within one system, if you establish that it exists, it's within the, uh, tennis, within the assertions that that system accepts. Just because uh, Madhyamaka might refute that is, you know, that doesn't apply. Chittamatras would refute the Madhyamakas and say, you're nihilistic. You know, all of them refute each other. It's not just that the, the Madhyamaka refutes Chittamatra. I just, for me, it's, it's interesting to think about this, that actually when we want to prove that person exists, we usually our aim to prove that this person exists um, independently and self-sufficiently, right? Mm. But before you know, obje- you know, before we perceive them. Yeah. But even if you read Napoleon, you know the word. Well, that's a basis for imputing Napoleon. But then what about you read, you know, Santa Claus or Easter Bunny? So then Chittamatra gets into a very complicated discussion of that. <laughs> going back to what you said in the very beginning, like when we have arguments, one yeah. hears something, uh-huh. another hears something. Right. 
And sometimes I have a situation as if I feel like it's entirely, how do you say, another person is hearing something that is really wasn't there at all. Uh -huh. And of course, we can say that it's just my perception and the other person's perception. Mm -hmm. But let's say if there was a I don't know, recording machine, mm -hmm. and if you play it, of course there is something that is that you really said or that you really didn't say. So I feel like there's some border between something still. Everything is subjective, but still there is something buried and something not. I don't know. Or if I start saying that you are my father, that's uh, totally confused. Right. No, but now you're confusing. Yeah. You're confusing different things. Yeah. yeah you're saying that uh, if uh, uh, I heard something and you heard something different. And if there was a uh, recording device, if we played the recording device, then uh, that would settle it. But uh, we'd have to hear the recording device. So each of us would have to hear the recording device and agree that we're hearing the same thing. Well, that would be from shared karma. Remember, there's no common locus. There's no common location that externally that both of us are hearing. I'm hearing the tape recorder. You're hearing the tape recorder. If we have a shared karma to hear, you know, uh, what to us seems like the same thing, then we agree. Recording, like for instance, the disagreement about, uh, like you say you said door, and I say you said more, and then we ask them. They haven't been there. There is the recording, and we say he thinks it's he said door. I I say he said door, and I I, I said more, and then you say it could be both. When even if they hear the recording, there will be never not a clear settlement of this. Well, it could be. I mean, this happens very often when there's a poor quality tape recording of uh, a teaching and uh, you want to transcribe it and you can't really hear it distinctly, what the person is saying. And two people, even listening to the recording, could... Uh, um, well, no, I mean, that now gets into the second one of conceptual cognition of what words, what they think that the person is saying. But it's, you know, it's similar that, uh, you know, I could hear two, two different, you know, you could hear one thing and I can hear another thing. But what about the, the second one, the conceptual is how you interpret it. Something like more concretely, like let's say, you know, when we are in arguments, another person say, oh, you told me that I'm stupid. Then, no, actually you didn't say, I'm just say, uh, please don't do it. Mm -hmm. But another person said, hear it, instead of please don't do it, hear it. You are stupid, or something like that. Right. A different word. Right. Then, if there was a recorder, and if you play it, there's, how do you say, objective, in, in some sense of objective reality, that if you really said that. Well, no, 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 no. Now we, th now we can think of, uh, he's saying that uh, if uh, one person said, uh, don't do that, and the other person, 
uh, thinks that, uh, you know, said you're stupid. I mean, if, if you know, you have that uh, type of thing and there's a recording and then you listen to the recording and that should be objective. But uh, just think of uh, um, the president of the United States, even when there is a recording of something that he says, he sa that he said, he calls that fake news and that it's not real. So he doesn't hear it. So still, you would have to have shared karma to agree that uh, what you're hearing is authentic. And we assume we're not dealing with pathological liars as well. So right, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's people that deny reality. When I teach the different what? The different systems. The different systems. For example, now. And um, I feel like students often bring up an example like he did. Yeah. Where he's like, yeah, but if I said door, or like he said, and they hear more on the recording. But I feel like the system, um, it's not that that example is too simple, but I feel like the systems are meant to deal with things that can be just a little bit abstract. Like I even, I feel like these, like types what? Of, like these types of examples of like saying like one person said something uh -huh. and then you record it and then it's objectively they didn't say it or he says that you're his father and objectively you're not mm. his father. The, it, I feel like there's People get stuck on these types of examples that are like, they're obviously objective, but the point is to deal with more complex. Well, you see, see, what you have to bring in is both the coarse and the subtle okay. selflessness of phenomenon. And the subtle, you know, here we're dealing with sense perception. We're not dealing with conceptual cognition, conceptual cognition is that uh, uh, the image that he sees that now when that image arises in conceptual cognition what does he consider it and, this is much and that's the subtle selflessness that uh, there's no basis on that side of that image for you to be able to call it father, your father or your friend or whatever that also is subjective So the complexity comes when you combine the two uh, selflessness of phenomenon, the coarse and the subtle. Mm -hmm. Now we're just dealing with what do you see, what do you hear? Okay. I'm trying to understand the point of the, the teachings, right? And I'm, I'm right. Think, I think it's also like my point is that these teachings also take on, um, take, go in different directions based on how the students deal with it. Right, absolutely. So, so my point is that if we keep, if we're staying in more simpler, I'm saying simpler, maybe that's not the correct word, yeah. examples, then we'll stay in that arena. Right. But if we try to go a little bit deeper, more complex and more abstract and weirder, then the conversation can get a little bit more. Robust. Well, yes, I mean, she's saying that uh, we are dealing 
with uh, examples on a very simple level. You have to start on a simple level to get the general principle. And that if we were to go more abstract, but abstract, we're talking about sense perception. Mm. So sense perception, and then the conceptual thing is how you interpret the sense perception. So if you have two scientists conducting an experiment, you know, the sense perception would be like the data, but then how do you interpret it? And the whole Chittimatra point is that there's nothing objective. That everything, and this is why His Holiness says that Chittimatra is similar to quantum physics, that uh, you know, the position of a particle can only be determined in connection with the perceiver. So that is, you know, sense perception. Yes, I think um, quantum mechanics also says that the perceiver decides the object. You know, that on you perceiving it establishes it. Right. No. Yes. The, that is the fault of quantum physics. Yeah, but that's also my question. But Chetamata go as far as saying that as everything comes from the same natural source, that you have a, like, a tendency that brings up your perception. This this instant of perception would go as far as saying that you have a certain tendency of maybe very plainly running into the same kind of people all the time for example because mm -hmm. you have the tendency of meeting this kind of people i think you indicated the idea of probably you have it you know as it comes from your own karma you know that you have a tendency of coming into a pattern of meeting right. the same objects same people right yeah. would they go as far as that yes definitely so he's saying that, uh, would Shidamatra say that uh, the fact that we are always seeing and meeting the same type of people or eating the same food, you know, tasting the same food or watching the same type of uh, uh, video, all these things, these come from our tendencies. Absolutely. Absolutely. But... Uh, the um, shortcoming in quantum physics, if we want to make it analogous with uh, Chittimatra, is that in quantum physics, if uh, you have a, uh, um, I don't know the exact term, let's say a quantum field, you know, the particle can be in two different places, that when it's perceived by one person, the uh, system collapses and it's only in one thing. Well, that's not the Chittimatra point of view. Chittimatra point of view is that each person collapses you know, their own way and it's not as though there's some external situation that then each person collapses in a different way. There is no external situation. You, know, you could imagine that there's some amorphous external situation that's objectively there but it's not collapsed into you know, like a situation in the family. There it is, but each person collapses it in their mind into, you know, what they think is going on or what they see. So it's not like that either. To understand that there is no common locus, I think that's the most difficult aspect. There's nothing out there that each person is seeing in a different way. Well, shared karma, they describe it as... as shared karma, that you have seeds to see things 
from, uh, you know, you have the uh, karma, karmic seed to see the desk from your angle. And I have the karmic seed to see a desk from, you know, my angle. And it's shared in a sense that we can agree that we are looking at the same desk, but that is an illusion that we're looking at the same thing. Because, the, you know, if you took a picture from where you are and I took a picture from where I am, they're completely different pictures. But we can agree conventionally that we're looking at the same thing. As I say, this really requires quite a bit of thought and uh, getting used to in order to um, understand the, the Chittimatra position. But there is a validity to it. And it is helpful, especially in resolving conflicts, you know, between people where, you know, you said that. No, I didn't say that. You know, that type of, uh, of conflict. Okay, so let's end with the dedication. We think whatever understanding has come from this, whatever positive force may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to reach the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of all.